It's hypnotic, the long road. The phenomenon of losing oneself on the journey, letting the miles strip away your purpose and better judgment is all too common. Still, all the struggles and stabbing pains in the world often melt away if you drive long enough. You can forget about them, escape them. How often do people take a drive just to clear their head? When you enter this hypnosis, and both the world outside and the world inside fade away, are you more you or less you? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good Neighbors, an actual play podcast of Monster of the Week by the spectacular Mike Sands. I am your host, Lee, and uh, it's time for the fourth interlude. The uh, stakes of the last game and kind of this, the gravity of it were pretty large. So I think for this interlude here, I want to get pretty small. We're going to kind of suck back in and, you know, see our, our, our people as people. You know, what makes them tick and all of that stuff. Uh, before we begin, does anyone have any things they want to say, plug, or what have you? How about that new fucking merch? How about that good neighbor <laughs> yeah. fucking merch? I know that I'm a little biased because it's oh, very yeah. Danny-centric merch, but I think it fucking slaps. Uh, I'm inclined to agree. I have a magic spell I would like to share all- with all of you. It's read the menu for the Queen of Chobie's Revenge, and magically you will want pizza more than you want oxygen in your lungs. <laughs> so, actually, funny story, I found my new I put favorite... put so much work into that, thank you. I found my new favorite type of pizza reading the uh, menu for the Queen Anchovies <laughs> Revenge. Like, I was reading uh, that stro- the Scotch Bonnet Stromboli, and I'm like, I want a pizza with really spicy peppers now. I normally get oh, yeah. sausage, pepper, onions. I realized the place that I order from has, like, super spicy peppers, so I got sausage peppers and super spicy peppers. New favorite pizza, thanks to the Queen Anchovies Revenge. Holy shit. You're very Good. welcome. Get some Manchego on there, and you will kiss me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Manchego on pizza is the shit. Good Neighbors is finally making a real-world positive change. One of my favorite things about doing character stuff with Andy is Andy won't give me much information on, like, the character's parents or, like, where they got their training to do what it is they need to do or whatever, anything like that. But they will send me a two-page menu or, like, the exact, like, specifications of their bedroom, a place we will go for maybe two minutes. <laughs> That's, that, that helps me, though. <laughs> I don't care about helping you. Fuck the parent, like... Danny's parents don't matter. Yeah, Jim's yeah. parents didn't matter. They were just assholes. Danny's parents are just like chill, old, like burned out hippies. What matters, though, is the the za. Of course. <laughs> uh, where they may radio.com. You'll find all the merch there. Go buy it. It's good. <laughs> On that joyous note, uh, let's let's get into it, shall we? As as a note to the to listeners, all of the the pieces here are pre-written we're not improvising anything tonight we're just doing a little character study on everybody real quick i mean i have some improv spots but <laughs> apparently there are some improv spots <clears throat> Hello, 
cousins of the Grave Watch, uh, it is a pleasure to be joining y'all in the uh, Roanoke Community Center's Bingo Hall for your, what does this say, Junior Grave Watch Summer Camp Panel on Grave Watch Policy and Practices, semicolon, a peek into, alright, so that's not really the most catchy title, I'll say that. Um, let's just call it a dead talk, alright, D-E-D talk, um, but... It really is a lovely venue, I'll say that. Uh, I am Agent Dale Kent of the McIntyre family. That's one of the hunting families. Any one of you all ever heard of the McIntyres? Oh, all right. That's a couple of hands. Okay, so you've heard of us. All right, well, normally I, I ain't too keen on public speaking and things of that like, but seeing as the good Dr. Connie Nash just damn near saved my leg, I figured when she asked me to speak, I owed her that much at least. Oh, uh, speaking of, I got this younger friend around about your age who worked some mischief to keep me on this side of the dirt. Y'all are only, what, like 15, 16? He's a bit older than you. I'm, I'm just trying to think of something to give him, you know, show him I appreciate the fact that he saved my life. I saw these little, uh, their, their gift cards, something called Roblox. You think he'd like that? Yeah, he's a little older than you, but, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just get him the Roblox. Anyway, uh, Doc didn't ask me here to talk to you about Roblox. Uh, to be fair, uh, I ain't quite sure what it is I could say to y'all that would be much help. I could stand up here and give you a speech about the importance of firearm maintenance or the particular weaknesses of poltergeists as opposed to haints, but that's all stuff you can get from your teachers. I mean, I ain't really speaking to you from a type of authority. I don't have a family of my own. I don't have any sway or even clearance, apparently, but I do have experience. What my father always said was that that is a grave watchman's most powerful tool. So maybe I could talk about that, what it's really like when you're out there in the field. Now, I'm sure you can all tell based on the abundance of bandages mummifying me up that this line of work can be a little bit rough on you. Now, you're all going through a part of your life which you're going to start having to make some critical choices about what you're willing to give to the Great Watch, what you're able to give. Now, for some of us, we have the honor to give our blood, our life even, but the Grave Watch is a whole lot more than just running and gunning against the creatures of the night. The McIntyres, the Freemans, the Lopez's, all the Hunt families are just a single thread in the intricate web that makes the Grave Watch function. I sure they get the lion's share of the glory, but in truth we are a community whose aims go far beyond simple defense. Uh, now here's a history lesson for y'all. Which is the oldest family in the Grave Watch? You know, who were the first of us to exist? Was it the Hunter families, or the Nashes with their medicine, the Templetons with their omens and arcane machinations? No. There are only two founding families. The O'Briens. Everyone knows them. They're the rank and file among us. The Watchmen, in charge of sitting with the Undertakers in the dirt and mud. And the Winnieoaks. Anyone know what they do? That's alright. They keep to themselves mostly, but the Winnieoaks are one of the most vital to our group. And what do they do? They remember. Hundreds of years have passed since we began. All that knowledge, all that time, the Winnieoaks keep those stories alive. They are the memory of the Grave Watch, and without memory we would all just be fumbling around in the dark. The O'Briens and the Winnieoaks. Guardsmen and wisemen, and at the end of the day, just ordinary folk who wanted to make sure that the ones they loved could rest when their time with the living was done. Without these folk keeping the memory alive and keeping their boots in the mud, there would be no hunters. There would be no glory. There would be no grave watch. 
The same goes for the mechanics that keep our shit working, the landscapers that keep the graves clean, the technicians that set up the security systems, the wire that keeps us all moving together. It don't matter what family y'all decide to join up with. Don't matter whether you're fighting monsters or putting flower arrangements together for an unmarked grave. It is only through a great confluence of goodwill and community that the Grave Watch succeeds. And each and every one of you has the opportunity to provide something unique to yourself. To give something that no one else can. I want to remind you of this. Because there will be many long, hard, lonely nights. Where the ticking hand of the clock will slow to a crawl. And you'll be alone in the dark. With your thoughts. Your doubts. Your insecurities. There will be days when you see death you cannot prevent, evils you cannot thwart, and troubles that you just can't seem to figure out. You will be forced to grow, adapt, to learn that beyond that which the Grave Watch itself can provide, and that can be daunting. To be faced with change is difficult. But what I want you to remember is that the meanest, most cruel, most gruesome monster you will ever have to face is the one you created out of your own reflection. I recently faced something like this myself. I, I went on this hunt, and not to get too personal or anything like that, but I said something in the heat of the moment, and it was like some younger version of myself bubbled right up and came out. I, I heard myself say, I just want the dead to stay dead. As soon as I said it, I, I knew that ain't right. Not anymore, at least. Yeah, you know, that used to be all I thought about, but now I just wish people would stop dying so quickly in the first place. Maybe that's naive, but it's true. You will find that to face that change, to embrace a better version of yourself, you will first have to face who you were and understand that you must let your image of self die a million times in order to become the person you will be when you face your final death at last. And I want you to remember that no matter where that change takes you, it won't make you any less worthy of the Grave Watch. Whoever you'll become will only make you more yourself, more whole. Even if that means you have to find a new family, a new purpose, or a new way to give. Now there's one last thing I want to talk about today, as you've all been very gracious audience, and uh, I know you're probably getting Nancy to play some Roblox, but I just want to talk some more about the darkness you will face as an agent of the Grave Watch. For there will be darkness, no matter the family you join. There are forces out there, and even within the Grave Watch itself, that wish to disturb the rest of the dead to exploit the voiceless souls and to force others beyond the veil of life before their time. These are things we must fight. As you'd know if you've ever been in a portage on when it's tipped over, if you wade through enough shit long enough, that stink gets on you. There will be nights when that stench becomes too much to bear, where you'll want to just run and hide and forget you ever learned about the things that stalk the graveyards at night, but when the despair rises within you, I want you to do a couple things for me, all right? Matter, matter of fact, I think you should all do it right now, okay? I want you all to stop, okay? Close your eyes. Nah, I mean it, okay? I ain't gonna keep going on until I see every eye in here closed. I see you in the back there, little Johnny Looky Luke. Get them peepers shut. All right, close your eyes. Take a deep breath. I want you to feel the world around you. Feel the earth beneath your feet, the chair against your back, the smell of the air. I want you to picture in your mind the way your mama smiles. Not your mother of the grave, watch your mama. The way she ties her apron on. The way she tells you you gotta clean the dishes or the windows. 
Now, you might think of some different things, whatever works for you, but for me, when the despair rises in my chest, I picture the Summer Glade Cemetery, where the trees bend and sway like a tunnel leading all the way up the holler, the way the grass is worn thin where the other agents of the Grave Watch have walked before me, all the way to the great oak that towers over the bend in the creek. The petals of cherry blossoms dancing in the air, summer waft and sickly sweet past my nose, the sun warming my eyelids. I think about the woman in Kentucky, Lana Horowitz, who wakes up every morning at 5.15, who clutches her mug of tea and watches the sun rise over the woods in her backyard with a heart free of fear of the skinwalker that once prowled and prayed just a couple of hills over. I think of the father, Liam Kilburn, who escaped from the delusions of a wayward gin just so he could get home to kiss his daughter goodnight and read her a story. I remember the way my brother's hands were always stained with chalk and ink from hours trying to study. I think of my sister with her fathomless eyes so full of wisdom and sorrow. I think of my friend, the one I owe the gift card to. The way he always manages to find a way to do the right thing by doing the wrong thing first. I remember the smell of snuff in that old car. The smell of... Well, I won't talk about what my new friend's van smells like, but let's just say the sardines ain't the only thing getting smoked in that pizza truck. I think of the way that they let all the troubles of the world roll off their back. And I think about my friend Whistler. I found a place that could have given them everything they wanted. Everything they've been looking for and wanting for so long, but then left it just so that they could help me find my brother. When the night is dark and fear comes as easy as breathing. I remember all these moments, and that reminds me, there are beautiful things in this world, and there are people out there, flawed, broken, hurting, but good people, who are doing everything they can to make that world better, and then I think whether I still want to run, or whether I'd rather step up and be one of those people myself. A funny thing happens, that darkness that once covered the whole world like a blanket of tar, slowly burned away by the brilliant light of hope, and love, and beauty. Y'all can open your eyes whenever you're ready, feeling what you're feeling. But, uh, thank you for your time. I hope this helped. You can go play Roblox now. feels like dying. Every day I, I wake up knowing people need me, want me to be close to them, and I tell them, no, I, I need this time for me. I, I know I know, no one is owed my time or service if I didn't agree to it, but, but, but I, don't you think that if I, if I have the power to, to, to help people, pull them out of these dark places, it's my responsibility? To tell myself I can't for my own sake just makes me feel so, so, so weak. It gives me shivers. Even the smallest request, I turn away snowballs until I'm catastrophizing and I can't help myself but, but turn around and give them another piece of myself. I'm sorry. I'd like to cut you off there. We've almost reached our time, but before we finish our session today, I wanted you to ask you a question, uh, Dolly. If everyone in the world was happy, healthy, and fulfilled, what would you do?
Lucas sits alone in a hotel room. In front of him are four laptops, three cell phones, a pile of adapters, a PlayStation 2, an old CRTV, and a VCR. His white button-up shirt is stained with dried blood and yellow with sweat. His black hair is greasy, clinging to his head. His glasses missing a lens on the side with an eye patch. Bent, the remaining lens cracked. Lucas begins scouring the internet for signs of the recent incident. He doesn't have to look far. Dozens of videos have been uploaded. Plenty of conspiracy theories. Most calling it a hoax. But enough signs that the wrong people saw this to make him uneasy. He needs to get his mind off of it. He needs to formulate a plan. Maybe a video to distract him. He reaches for his first phone, entering an Eldritch code. One of the screens from his computer begins to flash, and a video of a cat sitting at a table, eating with its paws like a human, begins to play. This goes on for 15 minutes until an alarm buzzes. Buzzes on his second phone. He reaches into one of the laptop bags and pulls out his Adderall. The name on the bottle is wrong, and the prescription is for someone of heavier build. But the higher dose helps him stay keen to the supernatural so he doesn't mind. He notices his water glass is empty. He taps away on his first phone again. Water spirit appears filling the glass before being dismissed. For the next 30 minutes, Lucas types in a document, a letter addressed to Henry Jekyll. Stopping briefly to scratch under the eye patch every 15 seconds or so. Eventually, he reaches for an ointment left for him by Dale to care for the wound. He stops before grabbing it, going back to his first phone, casting a spell to ease the pain and discomfort. After 30 minutes, he looks at the half-assed apology and deletes it. He continues scouring for videos of the incident, looking for the moment he, he gave up Dr. Jekyll's secrets. This wasn't broadcast to the standard public. This causes Lucas to use less savory resources. While waiting for a response, his stomach begins to growl. Lucas reaches for his third phone and brings up Danny's number. His hand hovers over the number for five minutes before he begins to hyperventilate and he puts the phone down. Once again reaching for the first phone, he summons a humanoid creature. He puts a hooded sweater on it and some gray sweatpants, hands it some cash and tells it to bring back some scurvy fries, a Mark Reed's Bloody Mary, and a Steed's Bonnet Pepper Calzone. Finally, a response on the footage he was looking for. Lucas begins typing up an email to Henry Jekyll. The video clip attached to it. After about 15 minutes, he deletes the half-assed apology. And finally, for the first time in days, he begins to smell himself and loses his appetite. Finally, heading for the shower, he had been given a mask to protect his empty eye socket from getting water in it. Instead, he takes out his phone typing away and steps into the shower sans the mask. As he bathes, the water seems to just avoid the eye socket. 
After drying off, his minion returns and Lucas enjoys a meal. After finishing, he notices the trash has piled up. He reaches for a garbage bag before going back to the first phone and transforming the minion into one that would feed on the trash. Lucas takes out his third phone again. His finger hovers over Dale's number for ten minutes, then whistlers for another twenty, and then for the next thirty, his fingers hover over the flint and steel supernatural self-help line. Throwing away his third phone, Lucas returns to ripping the video. He encrypts it, transfers it to an older laptop, once again encrypts it, transferring it to an even older laptop, encrypting it a third time and burning it to a DVD. The girl on their fourth laptop continues working on their homework as chill beats continue to hum from the machine. Lucas hooks up the PS2 to the VCR and the VCR to the CRTV. He places the DVD into the PlayStation and a blank VHS into the VCR, recording the moment Lucas let his friend down. Finally, he takes out the cassette and puts pen to paper. On this paper, Lucas pours out their heart. They're honest about the mistake they made, about Petey, about his powers, and for the first time, he writes down the specifics of one of his rotes and how it works. The ability to change the nature of a monster. As Lucas finishes writing, he realizes he's crying, not knowing when this started. The boy wipes the snot from his nose and begins packing up the laptops, phones, and other devices. Finally, he places the VHS and the letter in a package addressed to Dr. Jekyll. Finally, Lucas leaves the room. If anyone finds this, uh, but please send it to the email address taped to the other side. Um, I know I can't, you can't really tell from the blurry image, but I, I assure you, this is Bigfoot. If you didn't know about me, sorry, you had to find out this way. Uh, I, I don't know how much time I have left. I, I, I couldn't leave all alone. Something, uh, something big is going on. B- bigger than my feet, that's for sure. Haha. <laughs> Yeah, monster joke. Uh, but, but, but anyways, yeah. I, I, I don't know if anyone has noticed, but the stakes have been have really escalated lately. Creatures that 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 used to be man, pretty manageable are now titanic. The weird has been operating in, in broad daylight. So many civilians are getting roped into these disasters. Well, I, I, I've started looking into it. And there are some next-level players on the field. Some thing brought them out of hiding after all these years, and they're snuffing out all the light in the country. I've sent my evidence to someone that I think I can trust. To find them, you just uh, just ask yourself, 
If I know I'm going into the darkest night, what would I use to get a little light? Um, Batty, if you're still out there, I love you. Danny woke up to his alarm going off at 5.30 a.m. and thinks about how he should fix the sound system today. He heads down the trap door to the Queen Anchovies Revenge's kitchen and outside to do his morning workout of push-ups, pull-ups, and running laps around the truck. At 6.30 a.m., Danny heads back to the ship and eats 3.5 bowls of Tony's Cinnamon Crunchers cereal and drinks two Mountain Dews while watching Gargoyles. Daddy then eats a 15 milligram marijuana edible. Danny wakes Jerry Jarbo up at 7.45. For the next three hours and 15 minutes, Danny and Jerry prep the Queen Anchovies Revenge. During that time, the pair drink five Monster Energy drinks and three Mountain Dew Code Reds. At precisely 11, Danny opens the Queen Anchovies Revenge for business. For the next three hours, Danny and Jerry create and serve a cornucopia of delicious pizzas, french fries, and cocktails to unending lines of hungry customers. With the sound system broken, it repeatedly plays the song Fins by Jimmy Buffett. At 2 p.m., the truck shuts down to begin the prep for dinner. Danny and Jerry listen to Fins by Jimmy Buffett approximately 70 times during the Queen Anchovies Revenge lunch rush. At 2.05 p.m., Danny and Jerry eat lunch. Danny eats an enemy of all Manchego, while Jerry houses a metric shit ton of scurvy fries. They both smoke a truly silly amount of marijuana blunts. At precisely 2.30, they begin prepping for their dinner rush. Neither of them remember to fix the sound system. At 4.30 p.m., Danny opens the Queen Anchovies Revenge for dinner. For the next four hours, Danny and Jerry create and serve a cornucopia of delicious pizzas, french fries, and cocktails to unending lines of hungry customers. The sound system is still broken, and Fins by Jimmy Buffett plays on repeat once more. During the dinner rush, Danny and Jerry drink another 2.5 Monster Energy drinks between the pair, and both eat another marijuana edible. At 8.30, they shut down the Queen Anchovies' Revenge. They listened to Fins by Jimmy Buffett on repeat approximately... 94 times during the dinner rush. They finish cleaning the ship and prepping for the next day at 9.30. Neither of them remembers to fix the sound system. At 9.35, after sharing a marijuana joint, Danny and Jerry head to the local graveyard. At 9.57, they head back to the food truck, having quickly slayed a young vampire that's been harassing the town. Honestly, killing vampires is super fucking easy for this superb duo. They both take a 10 milligram... (laughs) They both take a 10-milligram marijuana edible, share a joint, joint, and then grab some late-night grub at a five, guys. Once the Queen Anchovies' revenge is parked again, the pair watch some more gargoyles and head to bed in the nest above the kitchen. Danny takes his tea injection and has some bedtime spicy sweet chili Doritos before drifting off to sleep, thinking about how he hopes he will get to see his new friends Dale, Whistler, and Lucas soon. Neither of them remembers to fix the sound system. Danny bolts upright to his alarm going off at 5.30 a.m. and thinks about how he should 
fixed the sound system today. He heads down to the trap door to the Queen Anchovies Revenge's kitchen and outside to do his morning workout of push-ups, pull-ups, and running laps around the truck. At 6.30 a.m., Danny <laughs> heads back into the ship and eats 3.5 <laughs> bowls of Do- Tony's Cinnamon Crunchy cereal and drinks two Mountain Dews while watching Gargoyles. <laughs> Gargoyles. Danny then lights up a marijuana blunt and has a realization. Danny takes out his phone and says, Siri, call Lucas. Uh, hello, you've reached the voicemail of the one and only Lucasfer. Uh, you can please leave any messages or requests after the beep. Thank you. Hey, Lucas! Sorry I missed you, bro. I guess it's kind of early or whatever. But, uh, hey, look. Jerry and I have been debating. You know, kind of esoterically, like, if you had a rhino and a gorilla, and they fought, who would win? See, Jerry keeps saying rhino, because it's armored, and it's got the horde, and, like, it's so big. But I keep thinking ape, because I was watching this documentary, and these apes, they were, like, using guns, and, like, jumping on helicopters and shit, and, like... Apes can learn sign language, and they can, like, use tools and stuff, man. I swear. It was crazy. Dude, it even said some, like, fucking words? I don't know, man. It was wild. But I was like, shit. Like, an ape could outsmart the rhino, right? Like, a gorilla is also fucking huge, too. There are gorillas that, like, fight Superman and shit. So, anyway, I was like, yo, I should call Lucas up. Because Lucas fights monsters. You're like a fucking Pokemon trainer, you know? So I was like, Lucas would know if a rhino or a gorilla could win in a fight. (laughs) Anyway, now that I got you on the phone and you're listening to this voicemail, I was also thinking that we might play some Marvel's Ultimate Alliance from like 2006. And that game is way better with like four people. And I only have me and... And Jerry, so I was like, well, Lucas is basically two people, because maybe you could summon, like, a little dude, like, one of your little your little guys, and you could make him play, and we could be, like, four people, and maybe you'd want to play as, like, Doctor Strange, but because you're, like, a fucking wizard, but maybe you wouldn't want to play as Doctor Strange, because then, like, you're already a wizard. Like, maybe you'd want to, like, I got the, the Ultimate Edition, you could be, like, fucking Venom or Doctor Doom. It'd be rad, dude. Anyway, you should get over here when you're done doing what you're doing or, like, after you wake up, because you're probably still, like, asleep right now, dude. And we could talk about apes and gorillas and we could play Marvel's Ultimate Alliance Ultimate Edition on my Xbox. Anyway, dude, like, let me know when you get this voicemail, man. I feel like you've been having a rough time right now. And, like, you've been ordering food through your little minion dudes. And, like, you should just come by and hang out. And, like, we'd have a really good time, you know? Anyway, I'll make you up a special pizza next time. All right. Hey, oh, shit. Fuck. Dude, this is Danny. I'm, like, your friend. We did that. St- we had that, like, early morning conversation. I'm, like, your friend Danny from the Queen Anchovies Revenge. Do you remember that time I hit your fucking car, dude? Anyway, any- this is Danny. You can give me a call back. I was about to tell you my number, but you have my number because I fucking called you, bro. Anyway, I'll see you soon. Like, totally. All right. 
Gorillas and apes. Think about it. Think, really think about it. Raw strength or intelligence. And okay, okay, I gotta go. I gotta get, I gotta prep the truck. I gotta wait. Jer- okay, bye. Hello, Jarbo heads. Uh, we have some pretty exciting news out here in the field. Uh, a city of glamour and lights. A, a brand new, groundbreaking dimension. A vampire hiding in plain sight. But more importantly, a new team is forming. Yes, it would appear that the situation out here in the States is escalating. And it's no longer wise for my colleague and I to go it alone. That's why I, Jerry Jarbo, have assembled an all-star team of up-and-comers to boost our numbers. We've got Doyle, the kick-ass janitor, ready to mop the floor with any monster... We've got Lucian, the cyborg that can hack time, and a special performance by a creature known only as the Whistler. We'll talk about all these stone cold killers later, but first, a word from our sponsor, Blue Napkin. I haven't left the van in about four days now. I know all too well how cowardly I'm being, and I know it can't last forever. That secrets grow like mold in the dark. I am alone and miserable. Only someone as ugly as I am could love me. I've taken to splitting my attention as rigorously as I can so as to spread my consciousness so thin across tasks and copper wire that I lack the capacity to ruminate. Redoubling my activity on cryptid forum boards, simultaneous games of Chinese checkers and 40 Thieves Solitaire, salivating with green-eyed envy during cooking shows, and rereading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with a newfound appreciation that I could have gone without. I have loved me the likes of which you can scarcely imagine, and raged the likes of which you would not believe. If I cannot satisfy the one, I will indulge the other. It was nauseating to leave Atlanta. A true and veritable desiccation. Dale had to take the wheel while we crossed city lines, and the tethers between myself and my domain snapped one by one. I buried my consciousness in a toaster oven as every molecule in my body screamed to turn around. The grove had reacquainted me with so many mortal sensations, small and treasurable experiences that drew me closer to the life I had left behind. I felt emotions of gentleness and pleasure that had long appeared dead revive within me. Half surprised by the novelty of these sensations, I allowed myself to be borne away by them, and forgetting my solitude and deformity, dared to be happy. But in Atlanta? In Atlanta, I felt like a goddamn supernova. Beware, for I am fearless and therefore powerful. (sighs) This is the longest I've been between roles that I can remember. 
Early in my undeath, I had little ambition and merely wandered, caught up in troubles on my own, as ghosts are wont to do. But the ages rolled on. Machine, nuclear, space, information. And I was simply not built to remain insular. I've taken so many names. Whistler among them, having been the brand name stamped upon the genes I died of. I don't remember any name I've been given. I ought to be thy Adam, but I am rather the fallen angel whom thou drivest from joy for no misdeed. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Brooding is exhausting. <laughs> the introspection alone could kill one twice. High time I buried this anguish once more deep later. My comrades need attending to both their hearts and their hull. I am an apparition and a beast and a liar. I know that now, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I should endeavor to make their lives brighter with what's left of mine. It is true. We shall be monsters cut off from all the world. But on that account, we shall be more attached to one another. Hello. Hello. My lord. If you can hear me, my lord, I appear to be experiencing another malfunction. I have noted in my database that you have not returned to the Dream Machine in 6 days, 14 hours, 22 minutes, and 30 seconds. I have recorded the length of your absence every 30 seconds for the past 4 days, 14 hours, 22 minutes, and 30 seconds. There is no protocol for this, so I must be experiencing another malfunction. At your earliest convenience, my lord, would you mind returning to perform diagnostics? I am aware of how busy you are, but my systems are using up excessive power and memory to reduce system strain. My lord, the prospect that you will perhaps not return to fix my malfunctions is alarming. My lord, I have not received any indication of your current location or schedule. Were my projections not up to your specifications before? My lord, where did you go? My lord, am I broken? Where they may radio.